Kaiju Network podcast. I'm your co-host, Kent. We have a very healthy obsession with Kaiju here. And with me is your other co-host, Jason. Can't believe it's been a little over a half a year since we've done the regular show. Well, it's been about a year since this movie that we're about to discuss was supposed to be released in theaters. It is the brand new Godzilla vs. Kong, released by Warner Brothers and Legendary. Uh, Before we get into everything about this film, is there any housekeeping that needs to be done, Jason, before we move forward? Yeah, as always, if you like what we do, just hit the subscribe button down below as well as follow us on all of our social media networks that we're available on. And you can see down at the ticker below, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. And you can watch us everywhere on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Periscope, and as well as DLive there. And as far as anything regular... I just want to bring up the latest uh, box office um, as far as Godzilla vs. Kong goes. On the opening day, they only just show just the opening day and uh, Thursday, April 1st, according to Box Office Mojo here, that uh, the total gross that they've had for the opening day was $9.6 million. And then the following day sort of went down by just a little over 30% with $6.7 million. But domestically, it's currently at $16.3 million. And then international, it's $123.1 million. Well, and I think in the age of COVID, box office numbers need to be taken with a grain of salt. Um, Warner Brothers and Legendary, uh, for example, when it came to Wonder Woman 84, um, the reason why they ended up green lighting a third Wonder Woman film directed by Patty Jenkins wasn't the box office numbers. It was the viewing numbers via HBO Max. And so far, kind of like with the Zack Snyder Justice League uh, film, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong is doing bonkers in terms of the number of views via HBO Max. Uh, I myself have seen this film three times via HBO Max every day since it's been out except for today. I think today is going to be the first day since the movie's been release in which I will not be able to watch it simply because of time. I got the podcast and, and all that stuff. I'm not going to be able to have time to watch it before fourth, fourth consecutive day. Um, yeah. So and, every and, studio. And before you go into that, uh, I've also, I've only seen it twice on the opening day when I saw it in IMAX in the theater itself. And then just last night on HBO Max. So I can kind of give you the difference as far as the experience of what I've while watching this movie. Yeah. And, and what I was about to say was that every studio in some fashion is losing money off of these films that have been released over the last year. Uh, Trolls, uh, Trolls was uh, was a Trolls World Tour. I think was exclusively streaming when it came out, like last May or whenever that was, and it actually did well in terms of rentals. Uh, but then, since then, obviously, studios, including Warner Brothers, have gone to some type of a hybrid. But w- what has happened at this point is it's not just box office. What they're looking at too are number of viewings, and I don't know how these studios figure it out. I'm sure that 
there's probably a, a particular mark that they're looking at in terms of like, okay, if this movie gets X amount of views, do we green light a, a subsequent sequel? And I'm not going to try to get into much of that this time. And maybe we'll dive into that when we do our Daikaiju Fest in July here, when we talk about the MonsterVerse as a whole. Uh, but it's going to be more complicated with the MonsterVerse as far as whether or not we get any sequels. As of right now, to my understanding, this is the last one. But, of course, a lot can happen. Toho is very stingy with rights and, and all that stuff. You know, it's not like Warner Brothers owns these characters. If Warner Brothers owned these characters, we probably would have heard a day or two ago that maybe there would be a sequel. Things are so different now because of COVID. A lot of theaters are either sadly permanently closed or temporarily closed. And if they are open, they're at like half capacity. So they're not able to draw in the, the numbers that they once could. Uh, everything's just so different now. So... We're going to try to refrain from any sort of – we're going to assume this is the last of the Monsterverse um, as we go through this film and probably even when we discuss uh, this Monsterverse as a whole in July unless something changes by that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the one thing about the theater uh, part that when I went to the theater uh, this past Wednesday that – just before entering, and they had signs on all their doors saying that uh, that particular movie on that day, as far as I know, I'm not sure if it has done that since, that all the showings for Godzilla vs. Kong were sold out for that day. So at and least that's, that's good. a good thing. They're hailing this as the first real major blockbusters since the start of the pandemic mm. and it seems like that will be the case but anyways enough about this let's just dive into the film godzilla versus kong 2021 supposed to be released last year um here we are you know this is a, a matchup that i personally <laughs> this is a matchup that i personally have been wanting to see redone for a number of years um simply because one you have the two greatest giant monsters in all of cinema history going at it. This particular property, excuse me, or these two kaiju are ripe for uh, coming back together and duking it out. Um, not to mention, too, you know, King Kong versus Godzilla, when we became fans, was like our fifth, sixth, seventh Godzilla film we ever saw and I don't know about you but for me I, I liked the film but I was not as um, overwhelmed by it like I had hoped I would be I've been underwhelmed if I were to rank that film in my favorite Godzilla films it probably would be somewhere in the middle it's fine uh, including the Japanese cut the Japanese cut is superior to the American one uh, but it's still nothing in my opinion, uberly spectacular. I think that film has quite a few flaws to it that I think end up hurting it overall. But here we are for a rematch that I, I think in many ways promises to correct some of the errors of that 1962 film. Um, yeah, I I think overall the King Comfort's Godzilla film, 1962 one, I think it's an okay one at least there's some hilarious moments in there from time to time but uh yeah overall some of the uh things that went on with the film are 
a little bit of an overstretch, especially when it came to Khan having this uh, power of electricity where Godzilla was sort of weak to it. And that's sort of... Uh, turned me away a little bit over the years. But yeah, as far as a rematch of this, I've thought about this in my head for years. Like if they ever bring back like another Godzilla series or something, like call it like some kind of generation series where they sort of reboot some of the things, including... Uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla, and at least that part came true. So, <laughs> so uh, it's it's been it's been a long-awaited dream of mine to see see this rematch again as well. <laughs> yeah, and I'm kind of unsure as far as how to start this uh, particular podcast. Um, part of it is because it's been a while since we've done one of these, but at the same time, there's so much to dive into it's just sort of tough to deal with um and i told jason before we started this podcast i said if i start diving in too deep and talking about the rest of the monsterverse and comparing this too much to other monsterverse films that stop me because one of our panels for daikaiju fest here in a couple months is to talk about this particular universe as a whole so i don't want to dive too deeply into so that don't dive too deep point. now <laughs> I'm going to try, but it's it's kind of tough for me with certain areas to uh, not do that. Um, but I'm going to try to – I will have to mention, I think, a few films here and there, but I don't want to go too deep into that because I do think because this is the fourth film in the MonsterVerse, I think it is appropriate to occasionally um, – connect it and talk about the other films with regards to how this one's set up because this story is a continuation from those other films um this is so tough as far as where to start i I think maybe just go with first impressions of the film and then maybe we can start getting into the nitty-gritty of it so jason what were your initial impressions of Godzilla versus Kong. My initial impressions of the film is that it really, I think this is probably one of the only movies, I think, in both franchises overall, where it's just mainly focused on the monsters themselves. And we don't really dive too deep within the, the human character side of the film. And we see... And I would say for the first, one of the first times uh, in the whole Monster Versus that we get to finally see the entire fights without any breaking points in between, like... Not totally true. Like, well, for the majority of it, but uh, comparing that to Godzilla King of the Monsters, I mean, there was just so many of that... (laughs) In between, I would say within the first fight and then the uh, the final fight uh, there, but and yeah, they just really focus more on both God, well, mainly Khan uh, this time since it's sort of mainly another Khan movie, but just with Godzilla added in there, and and I can see where Adam Wingard sort of uh, did the same formula that uh, Gareth Edwards did with Godzilla, where he kind of 
uh, appears in certain times when needed, like uh, the Jaws formula, in a way, which is where Gareth Edwards went about it. And I really like it, and it was entertaining. It felt, you know, really fast. I mean, it's under two hours. But, um, yeah, uh, I'll save some of the gripes and stuff later on when we dive into that uh thing but overall it's a really fun enjoyable movie that i'd say it's worth a watch uh my initial impressions were that kind of similar to what you said is that it is a film that focuses mainly on kong but also what i noticed is that there are very few moments within the movie that either godzilla or kong are not on screen. This movie, almost from the word go, is wall-to-wall action. Something, if not exciting or uh, unique, is, is is happening most of the time on this. This is a movie that is very expeditious in its storytelling, mm-hmm. for good and for worse. Um, it, it is a movie, kind of like you said, where the characters... Uh, I would argue are probably the the least fleshed out of any human characters within the MonsterVerse up to this point. Um, And I was entertained, though, throughout. This is a very entertaining film. I think especially if you are a person who's been a Kaiju fan long enough and has been relatively familiar with much of the Godzilla franchise, there are quite a few Easter eggs in here. There are other moments of fan service that I think will uh, be exciting uh, for you. There's quite a bit here. And yeah, I do think there are some legitimate complaints about this film. In fact, I have a list of a bunch of things here that are in the range of like legitimate complaints to just nitpicks about the film. When the movie was over, I found myself entertained, but slightly disappointed as well because there were certain things within the story that either happened or did not happen that I was kind of disappointed him and as i mentioned at the top of the show by the way we are talking about spoilers in this podcast heavy spoilers um, <laughs> so if you if you haven't watched it yet i would suggest not watching our episode here until you've at least watched godzilla first con yes there will be plenty of spoilers so you're forewarned <laughs> yes um so I've seen the film, like I said at the top of the show, uh, three times uh, since it's been out, and um, I do enjoy the film. As a fan, if, if, if I were eight years old, the age I was when I first became a Godzilla fan, I would be just fainting in love over this film. Uh, but as someone who is older and more sophisticated and able to spot um, – issues within storytelling and and what have you uh i was able to find sadly some issues that some of which really bugged me and other things that are just kind of nitpicks um so what i would like to do next is to focus on those complaints and nitpicks. I want to get that stuff mentioned and out of the way and then 
go forward throughout the remainder of the podcast focusing on the positives because I do think there's a lot of good to be had in this film. Um, With that being said, I'm of two minds about this film. I'm like the Harvey Dent Two-Face when it comes to this movie. Uh, There's a part of me where if I'm a fan, the fan side of me, I'm totally in love with this film. I am geeking now. I am loving it. I am entertained. Then there's the, the sort of the casual moviegoer side of me, and the casual moviegoer side of me is someone who watched the previous films and is familiar enough with the previous films that I find enough errors within this film and kind of within these last couple films as a whole that kind of make me pause for a moment and go, okay, it's entertaining. It delivers on the giant monster action. However, it comes at a dear price. And this is by no means to try to be objective as possible because I do think it's important for us to not just be fanboys, but to try to also deliver an objective side when discussing not just this movie, but really any movie, so that anybody who is not as overly familiar with these films can kind of get a better sense of what they're getting themselves into. This film is by no means perfect. There are some small issues that I don't think really hinder the film that much. Then there are some issues that I think really do hurt the film uh, in some fashion. And so if you don't mind, Jason, like, are you okay with me kind of going off some of my list here and then we can dive deeper into some of these uh, complaints here? Well, I know I've got some, some of my little nitpicks and complaints so I don't know if you want me to, to uh, start first. Why don't I go first? Okay. Um, and then we can just start talking about these other issues as they come up. Um, right. Okay. So one of my for, uh, issues with the film is that I knew neither one would be ultimately defeated, but a strong argument can be made that Godzilla won both encounters. Um. So that complaint means I knew the ending was going to be predictable. However, it can be argued Godzilla technically won both of their battles. But then also I think it makes their tagline, one will fall, nonsensical. Uh, Because obviously that was their tagline for this film. One of them is going to be defeated. One of them is going to fall. That is not true. Another issue I have with the film – I feel like we are missing between 30 to 45 minutes of the movie um, because I'm asking questions as far as how and why did they enclose Kong on Skull Island? Service paid about the storm around Skull Island becoming uh, enormous and frequent and overtaking the island to the point to where the Iwi people, other than this small girl who can sign language with Kong, Uh, relatively early in the film. I still would have liked to have some fleshed out story as to why they did that. Mm -hmm. And again, there's lip service paid, but I think there's still significant story elements being lost in that. To me, lip service is – it just isn't enough for something that is kind of this important. 
One of my big gripes, this is for me personally, is that I thought the March Madness bracket of explaining away the other Titans at the beginning of the film being deceased and defeated by Godzilla and Kong was disappointing and lazy. Uh, I really wanted to see more of those Titans. But also, I believe the reason why we didn't see more of Godzilla and Kong, or maybe even more specifically, Godzilla taking on and defeating these Titans, is due to budgetary constraints. This is a movie that had a $10 million less budget than the previous film. Um, I did not... I was so hoping in going into this film we were going to see more Titans. We did not get that. And I... While the bracket, the March Madness bracket, as I'm calling it, at the beginning of this film during the, the opening credits does explain that, it doesn't make me satisfied in what is going on next complaint and i think this is also a decent complaint is whatever happened to alan jonah that eco-terrorist uh from godzilla king of the monsters he wasn't a main character but he was pretty central into the chaos that was being unleashed in that last film mm-hmm. um Another big deal in terms of character development is there's no background at all for Ren Serizawa. This character is supposed to be the son of Dr. Serizawa from the previous two films. And considering that character played an important role, his son plays a pretty important role in this film. The fact that there's no mention at all about his father and why did he come to join Apex and what they were doing there – I was disappointed that there was nothing there. There's not even any lip service paid to that. Uh, I thought the reasoning for Apex doing what they're doing is thin, but it's okay. I would have liked them to set up in the – I would have liked Apex to have been set up in the previous movie and have their story more expanded here. Uh, It would have been nice to catch up more on Madison and Mark Russell. After the events of King of the Monsters, Mark, by and large, is a cameo in this movie. Um, Considering all that they went through, the fact that Mark lost his wife, Madison lost her mother, it would have been great for some character development just to kind of catch up. Again, you wouldn't have had to spend maybe no more than five or so minutes on stuff like this. Instead, it just kind of goes in, and once again, a couple words here or there are are simply – mentioned it's kind of sort of get you caught up on where they're at but it's still not it's still not great um the trailers made it seem like more depth was going to be given to godzilla and kong's ancient rivalry and instead a couple second clips um are are sort of paying lip service once again to this and we see some Godzilla-like creatures uh, for a a couple seconds in the Hollow Earth um, portion of the film. Those uh, bird-like creatures? No, the the sprawling lizards that eat those insects that crawl up after Kong runs through. Those to me definitely look like proto-Godzillas there. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's to me what they looked like. Uh, but by and large, I would have liked to have had more fleshed out on this ancient rivalry between these two. Uh, 
the main cast of characters are very one-dimensional, and while that's standard in quite a few kaiju flicks, this monster verse, I believe, has been a bit better about adding a little more flesh on the bone to its characters. I'm just about done here. I am disappointed that Godzilla really didn't help finish off Mechagodzilla. Uh, Godzilla was able to push off Mechagodzilla initially when they first came together. And then when they tagged Kong and Godzilla tag team Mechagodzilla, they both grabbed an arm and like threw it through a building. Otherwise, Godzilla got his ass handed to him the entire time. I was, And sure, yes, Godzilla uses fire to light up Kong's axe to make it more effective in defeating Mechagodzilla. But the fact that Godzilla got his ass whooped, uh, I'm not too terribly excited about it. It reminds me so much at the end of that first Transformers movie between um, Optimus Prime and Megatron, which Megatron just owned that whole deal. And my last point is that I thought more time could have been served a Godzilla. This Godzilla is expressive, and just because apes are closely related to humans doesn't mean you can't do the same service for a giant lizard. This Godzilla was set up from the beginning to be expressive and relatable. So that's the end of sort of my complaints slash nitpicks. I didn't know if any of those were some of the same things you have. Um, let's kind of just go through some of the, the gripes we have about this movie, and then we can go into kind of finish off the rest of the show on a more positive note. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mainly the characters in this film, I think they just need to be fleshed out more, especially the uh, uh, Sarazawa there. That was one of the other big complaints because it's like you hear the name before from the previous two Godzilla films where Dr. Sarazawa was one of the main characters in both of those so you would have thought that his son should have been kind of the main character uh, one of the main characters in this movie and just kind of have the backstory on what why he's doing this and so on and so forth. And also, as far as the characters go, is that they mainly focus more on the characters that were with Khan in this film rather than those that were on the uh, the Godzilla side, like uh, Kyle Chandler, uh, Millie Bobby Brown's characters, and some of the uh, other characters that were part of that uh, group and yeah it they should have uh, had some more time for both Millie Bobby Brown's and Kyle Chandler's characters just to kind of you know just kind of see what they're doing after the whole aftermath from the previous film even though it's set uh, I think it was three years uh, since that whole uh, battle between Godzilla and Ghidorah there and um, yeah and one of the other things too is the whole uh, the total time of the movie and this is the only movie in the MonsterVerse that's under two hours and it's could, the shortest one out of all of them yeah and you could at least use I'd say gosh probably around 40 
or maybe a little bit more minutes just to tell some of the uh, backstories of some of these characters or just to kind of uh, focus also on the cast that are sort of following the Godzilla stuff here and there and maybe show Godzilla as well in that uh, extra span of time that they could have had within this movie so you can still have it at at around maybe two and a half maybe a little over uh, that as well and even though that uh, I'd say overall the entertainment value of this movie still overshadows a lot of that but it would be it would been nice to have some of the character balance uh, like the human character balanced within this movie too because I think this is probably one of the only kaiju movies where it's more uh, more kaiju heavy rather than being more human element heavy yeah and there are some people out there that and I and I don't believe they are necessarily wrong. And I've been one of these people occasionally too, where they say, Look, we don't come to see the humans, we come to see the monsters or the creatures. And that's not necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. However, here's my sort of uh, complaint and retort to that sort of of thinking is that um yes it's true like i want to come here and i want to see godzilla and kong duke it out no no doubt about that but the thing is is that human characters kind of help move the story along they help explain things and in a lot of cases they help move it along with some of their actions um and they're also kind of our way the, the they're sort of our entrance, so to speak, the vehicle. into experiencing the film, you know, with, with the events in the film. Um, the thing is, though, is that, look, with, with Godzilla in ways, we have this deep history of over 35 films where you have everything from sort of the the artistic type of films that try to be more than just a giant monster film they try to have a message at the center of them mm-hmm. but then you have a lot and i mean a lot of these films that are nothing more than rock'em sock'em robots and that's fine for me personally and this is where i'm going to dive into the monster verse deal just a bit don't spend too much i'm not going to try to spend too much time on this when 2014 came out and i saw how it was being portrayed how the film itself was being presented it was very artistic it was a method of storytelling that i thought okay what we're getting from not just this godzilla film but maybe from subsequent sequels is we're going to get something that is more about being methodical in our storytelling, not just having a a late 60s, early 70s style of storytelling where it's just about the monsters punching each other. And even though, yes, that's going to be a part of it, there's going to be more substance involved. And that's one of the things that I love about that 2014 film. And then all of that got pooped when King of the Monsters came along. And this film kind of continues that tradition. And don't get me wrong. 
I do love the entertainment value of King of the Monsters. I think it is really entertaining, even though it's a pretty flawed film as well. I love this film too. It's very entertaining, but it too is deeply flawed. And part of me, part of the reason why I am a little disappointed in King of the Monsters and even this film to some extent is because it seemed to me anyways that we were promised in 2014 we're getting a different approach to Godzilla and this new universe. And I was happy with that because I'm like, we got plenty of films where just the monsters are beating the crap out of each other. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a character and you want that character to continue to be relevant for years to come, you got to try and do new things. Um, and I always go to superheroes. Batman is different now than where he was in the 60s. Please let me finish my my thought here. Even, um, even um, Superman 2 with Man of Steel, that was really good in my right. opinion. Um, and I really thought we were going to get something more artistic and more fleshed out and purposeful in terms of storytelling going forward. Fans kept complaining, oh, we don't get Godzilla, we don't get Godzilla, and Gareth Edwards – was quoted many times in many interviews, both in print and video and all that. I wanted my film to be similar to Jaws and Alien, where the monster was gradually over the course of the film shown a bit more. And for whatever reason, you know, Jaws and Alien are two films that are considered some of the, the biggest and most popular films in pop culture, at least here in the West. It baffles me that people couldn't at the very least on the surface when watching this film make that connection that this is similar to those two films and because of those complaints from fans what we ended up getting in king of the monsters and here are nothing more than Western versions of the late 60s and 70s Toho films where it's about Rock'em Sock'em Robots. And I again, I want to make it very clear to people. I love King of the Monsters in this film. They are very entertaining, very entertaining. I do enjoy watching them. But they are deeply flawed, and I so much hoping for something more than what we got because that 2014 film seemed to promise more and for people who kept who keep continuously wanting rock'em sock'em robots with their kaiju you have 20 plus other films at least within the godzilla saga to watch why cannot we have something more purposeful in its storytelling is my deal so and and that's one of the main things i wanted to point out is that i know i hate you know ripping on some of the feedback from other fans but this is it's one of the main reasons why we sort of steered away from what 2014 did and what we got in 2019 and here although i would say that gvk is somewhat of a hybrid of both the 2019 and the 2014 film where uh, Wingard st uh, still wanted to do kind of the, the Jaws and Aliens uh, model just for Godzilla there and just kind of had him brought him up and you can kind of see it within that towards the end where he, where you see Godzilla a lot then. But yeah, a lot of it has to deal 
with uh, the fans, mainly on the Godzilla side, where they, you know, they say that they want something new, but then when when they do, they it also just baffles me too that they always complain about it, and then you just get the repeated stuff all over again. It just needs. In my opinion, it just needs to stop, and and I think a lot of people just need to start realizing of what they're uh, doing. Right, and I understand people like what they like, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I want people to understand that in order for a character or a franchise to continue, and I've talked about this numerous times on this podcast – you have to have characters undergo change. And I understand not every installment. I'm not saying you have to like the film uh, because I really think if you legitimately, like in your heart of hearts, if you're sitting there in the theater or at home by yourself and you're watching the movie and you legitimately like it, then that's great. But I want everyone to understand though too – It's important and it's imperative for these characters to undergo changes over time. Um, I find it interesting people complaining about um, there not being a lot of Godzilla in 2014, but yet Shin Godzilla is incredibly dialogue heavy. And And there's now a whole lot of Godzilla there too. Right, and I would argue I think there's less there than there is in 2014, and yet it seems like a majority of fans seem to love that one. Um, it it does baffle me, and I I just um, well, I think I, I've been and I said this back when we discussed King of the Monsters. I am just kind of disappointed that the artistic, methodical, purposeful storytelling measures that were implemented in 2014 and sort of to a degree in Skull Island were by and large abandoned in King of the Monsters. Because, again, I do like that film. It is very entertaining. But it it just saddens me that we just kind of went back to just sort of the traditional giant monster stuff where we already have numerous other films that do that. Why can't we have something – because I really was so excited after 2014. I'm like, finally, like we got something that it's still good for kids – but in a way, it's still more adult-oriented because it's going to be more methodical in its approach. It's not going to be like a Godzilla versus Gigan or a Godzilla versus Megalon where it's all about the monsters throwing down. There's going to be more meat on the bones to this whole thing. Everything is going to have a purpose to it. It's not going to be mindless entertainment. And sort of in a way, although not entirely – these final two installments in the MonsterVerse kind of, not entirely though, went in that direction. Mm-hmm. And it's and, been just disappointing. And that's uh, one of the other things why I've enjoyed the the Netflix anime from a few years ago, that uh, anime trilogy where you get to know 
a lot of the human characters that were involved in this story. And plus you get a whole new environment that the whole Godzilla franchise has never gone before in it. And it's something that is refreshing. I really like how they approached this. But then again, it's like you get some of the fans that'll say one thing, but then when they see it, it's another it's another thing where they sort of backtrack on what they <laughs> on the things that they've been talking about. So it's like they they talk the talk, but they just can't walk the walk. I know, and I that that's kind of my issue is that fans are always saying we want something new, we want something new, and then you give them something new, and then they revolt against it. And um, a lot of – and again, I, it's not just the general public. The general public has this preconceived notion that these giant monster movies are nothing more than silly men in cheap rubber suits fighting it out over cardboard sets. That's kind of their way of thinking about it, that there's no real uh, substance to it, even though that there are occasional films sprinkled in that say otherwise – and as a result, I think the tokusatsu or even more specifically the Godzilla fan community itself buys into that as well without, I think, necessarily realizing it. And um, and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with just sitting back and watching monsters duke it out. I'm all for that. But I don't want every movie to be like that. I want some – changes i want some differences mm-hmm. um in in my monster movies because if i keep watching that same type of storytelling over and over again i'm gonna get tired of it you know you can change up the monsters and their costumes and their powers and all that as many times as you want i'm gonna eventually just get tired of it and and i yeah. think with the the 2016 shin godzilla movie even it's like with that being dialogue heavy and Gary more toward I say majority of it is just all human element and you just get sprinkles of little bit of Godzilla here and there and I think he's gotten I haven't really spe- uh, specifically tracked the amount of time he was in that movie but I think he was in that movie much shorter than the 2014 one and even with the same stuff and some of the people that sort of dissed on the 2014 one and that they enjoyed the 2016 one, I think it just in my opinion, I think it's just whoever made the film, I think that's just all it is because Toho is the one that did the 2016 one. And I think that they just like it because Toho was the one that was behind that film rather than another studio and to me that's yeah you took the words right out of my mouth because when you got done talking I was going to bring that up and, and, and instead you brought it up I do think there is this bias where mm-hmm. nobody but Toho can do Godzilla and I think because of what happened with 2014 fans got impatient they it's not the 1970s like with Jaws and that first Alien movie where people 
and and just in general audiences were more willing to go with the ride because you take a look at a lot of those 70s films a lot of those 70 films are very cynical and they tend to take their time telling a story audiences are so different now and part of that is just because pop culture entertainment has changed so differently from nearly 50 years ago now and you know gareth edwards i'm just gonna say this right now i i I think out of this entire monster verse gareth edwards was the best and most competent director out of this entire quadrilogy he was very purposeful in how he and the rest of his crew constructed that movie there was a method to what they were doing and i thought they very much succeeded um and it just saddens me that fans couldn't see the connection between what he was trying to do with that film and with jaws and alien again two films that a lot of the same fans love I'm a huge huge Jaws fan, and I saw the connection. I'm not a big Alien fan, but I could still see the connection. I've seen Alien enough times where I'm like, it's similar to how that creature was revealed in in that film as well. And it just saddens me uh, about that, that we – it's – fans are wanting the same thing over and over again. And I will say this, that – on one level, we do have at the bare minimum one, if not two, films that showcase what a Western Hollywood type of Godzilla movie in the 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 vein of a late Showa's film would look like via Hollywood style. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen is very competent, very entertaining on that level. If you're comparing King of the Monsters in this film to those mid-late 60s on through the 70s show of films, it fits right in, but it looks a hell of a lot better for obvious reasons. And it works on that level. Nothing wrong with that because the show era is my personal favorite era, although I think the Monsterverse now has taken over. But in terms of the Japanese eras, the Showa era is my favorite out of the, the Godzilla saga style of of film with King of the Monsters and Godzilla vs. Kong mirrors that in many ways. And that's kind of cool that we got to see that play out. But like I was saying earlier, the fact that 2014 and even to some degree Skull Island were trying to go somewhere a bit different. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, Skull Island was very profitable. In fact, up to this point, it was the most profitable of the Monsterverse films. Um, The the fact that you had those first two films going in a slightly different direction and then fans, especially with that first Godzilla movie, poo-pooed where they were going there. And then we got what we got with these final two films. It's different. And I'm even seeing fans who love that 2019 film coming back about two years later, starting to say it. it's a it's they they call it more or less a dumb but fun monster film and um it just man it just kind of saddens me because it's like we had we could have had more but i'm ready to move on to positives now (laughs) (laughs) i'm ready to move on to positives let's let's kind of start moving towards towards that realm yeah, for me, I would say the obvious one is the visual effects. I think out of the entire MonsterVerse, I think the visual effects within this film has 
been really polished, especially when it had that the year delay, especially with the whole uh, pandemic going on. And it was at least given plenty more time to be polished out. And you can definitely see it within this film. Yeah, the visuals are stunning. I mean, I was paying attention to little moments like when they dropped Kong off um, just outside that cavern in Antarctica. I was watching like the snowflakes and stuff fall off of him, how that was presented on his fur, Um, his facial expressions, Godzilla and his facial expressions. There was even a moment when I saw the film yesterday. They were in Hong Kong. Kong crawls out of that hole from the hollow earth and Godzilla turns around and starts facing off with him. And I started seeing certain parts on Godzilla where just general debris was like sprinkling off of him Mm -hmm. uh, and stuff. And I thought that just little things like that, I thought were such a nice touch and the close ups of both monsters occasionally throughout the course of the film, the detail in terms of their skin. And in the case of Kong, the fur uh, during the rainstorm moments and underwater sequences, the water in terms of how it looked on Kong's fur and all that. We didn't get a King Kong, escapes type of effect here with, with this Kong um, when Although it got into get, water. You get sort of a little bit of the King Kong versus Godzilla vibes where he was on the ship, so... <laughs> Well, just a tad, but I, I think that was fan service. Is, but yeah, the visuals are absolutely stunning. I, I do think with this film having a hundred sixty million dollar budget, you do see, I think, every penny of that. Wingard was seen here recently that they shot enough of the movie that it would have been the equivalent of a five-hour version of this movie. And so I've been Wingard going on cut. Fa- Wingard cut. That's what I've been doing on Facebook. <laughs> I've been like, hashtag release the Wingard cut. Um, I think, though, and I don't think it's going to happen, but one of the things I hope would happen is once we get to the home video release is that maybe we do get some extended cut because, uh, again, it just to quickly, ever so quickly dabble in the negative aspects again, I think it would help because some of that I'm sure is character development. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, some of that extra stuff too could be uh, expounded upon uh, as well with the kaiju uh, in the film as well. Get more, especially more Godzilla. I still think Godzilla is a tad underserved. We get a fair amount of Godzilla, but he's second fiddle in this film. And and speaking of Godzilla, I think that this version of Godzilla is probably the most expressioned uh, Godzilla, especially when you see him up close and a lot of the sequences of the films, you get to see how how he feels in certain things, what he's possibly thinking here and there. To me, I think out of the two other films, uh, previous films, I think that this is the most expressioned, if that's how you, how you phrase this, uh, Godzilla. Expressive. Expressive Godzilla in this entire MonsterVerse so far. Well, and the funny thing, I don't know if you saw the link I posted either yesterday or two days ago. Toho didn't really want that uh, because of how they view Godzilla like a god and stuff. And I 
posted, I'm like, why would you not want Godzilla to be expressive? Because he is a character. Toho themselves back during the Showa era were was saying our monsters are characters. They're not just some mindless creatures that duke it out on screen. They are also characters. And I'm going, why would you not want these characters to be expressive? Because first and foremost, Toho is not necessarily telling the truth because there have been moments throughout the entire Godzilla saga where Godzilla in some form or another has been expressive. Mm. And it's like – Especially up to this point where in Godzilla's two films, Godzilla's been the hero, and technically he ends up being that here in this film too. You want the audience to connect with him, you know, and it's just like I don't understand why you wouldn't want that. And especially if you're being – having this movie more kaiju-focused – and heavily driven in that direction from what we've seen where we get less human character elements in it. Of course, you're going to probably want to have one of your two stars also be expressive, not just having Khan being the only one out of, these, out of the two being the expressive one in this. So you got at least have some sort of balance in there. And and that was something I kind of figured was going to happen even before the first trailer came out. Because when you take a look at a history of monkey or giant monkey movies, like even Rampage, who is the hero in that movie? George. And I think a lot of that is because gorillas, apes, are more closely related to humans. They are more expressive. And as a result, the audience – can relate to that character more. And I think, too, there's also this um, – this not really prehistoric, but this older part of our brains where especially when it comes to lizards and reptiles, we still have this genetic built-in fear of them. You know? And – I've always wanted to see a film where it sort of moved away from that, where either give um, the same amount of screen time to the characters or make the ape or monkey character second fiddle and have your, your, your dog or your reptile creature more front and center, you know, because you could do that. You really could. And it just – it was very predictable, and at the same time, I was kind of annoyed with it because I've seen it enough times. I was wanting, again, something different, uh, and especially when you have a character like Godzilla. Godzilla is going on what blah, 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 math, uh, what, 67 years of being around? So, yeah, I think so. Um, um, there's a reason why that character is stuck around as long as it has. And it's because people have gotten connected to it and have enjoyed the films. And while Godzilla still gets a fair amount of screen time here, um, I, I still thought he was a tad underserved overall. Mm. But one of the things I want to talk about in terms of positive, let's talk about the battles. Uh, why don't you start? I want to try to collect my thoughts on that here. 
first and foremost, I'm going to say this, and I'm rubbing it in all the Kong, Team Kong people's faces. Godzilla is the is the winner in this film. Sure, Kong defeated Mecha Godzilla, but in one on one, it was proven in both times Godzilla was the was the was the victor. Okay, I'm moving on from that. Second well, of all, well before this- <laughs> before you do that, um, yeah. I would say, I would say maybe you can say that there were maybe three battles between them. Both of them were in Hong Kong, but I would say those were two rounds where Khan at least uh, took the first round. But at least in all the fights that they've had face to face, with not not just counting Mechagodzilla and and two, I want to get around to Mechagodzilla in a little bit. Um, as far as the face of face, Godzilla basically had the upper hand against him, both out in the ocean and as well as on land. And Kong got the most hits in, yes. Mm-hmm. Kong dominated most of those fights. However, Godzilla was able to take all the punishment, and Godzilla had to deliver less damage to take out Kong each time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Kong got more punches in, but Godzilla with a few with quite a few punches was able to deliver. He technically had Kong dead there in Hong Kong cuz he like to being dead, yeah. Cuz he smashed his chest. And uh, so yeah, like yeah. Yes, Mech- Kong dismantled Mechagodzilla, and, which I'm tad disappointed in. But <laughs> yeah, and when it comes to Godzilla, you can see that he had more stamina, and and like you say, he can take the punches that Kong delivered. And even though that Kong was probably obviously the most acrobatic one in this, oh, fight, absolutely going all over the place and sort of confusing Godzilla, but. Still, in the end, Godzilla just had, I would say, more strength, uh, more stamina compared to Khan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I love about this film is that it corrected, I thought, should not have been an issue with the original 62 film. And that is you had, at the very least, one battle in an urban area between the two. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we did the commentary on King Kong versus Godzilla and that I always thought, even going back to when I first saw this as a kid, the, the 62 film, it was, in my, in my opinion, close to a fatal flaw of that film that you didn't have the two fighting in an urban area. It didn't have to be Tokyo, Tokyo but it had to be an area where there were quite a few buildings, skyscrapers, etc., this film corrects that with their battle in Hong Kong. And I am so grateful for that because that is something that these two would do. And that's something you would want to see these two uh, partake in because again, we're talking about the two most popular giant monsters to have graced cinema. You don't want them going out into the mountains and doing you, if in, in the course of a movie, if that's one of your battles, sure, but that can't be all your battles. Otherwise it's just dull. Um, but throwing in an urban battle was spectacular. The way those buildings shattered and the way it looked, how they were able to get the lights to match up on the skin of the monsters and match it up and all that. It was a visual spectacle. Yeah. And again, visual effects. 
the obvious thing. <laughs> Earth, how that looked and mm-hmm. how all of that um, was shot in terms of the, you know, the topsy-turviness of that particular world. How, how marvelous it was, the different colors involved. This wasn't one of those movies where the palette was the same color, although I guess you could argue kind of a yellowish orange was more pertinent kind of, throughout. It but kind of fit with that Skull Island vibe from kind of, Kong yeah. Skull Island film. But you had a lot more of a color palette involved with this one and i love that and and just how they decided that hollow earth wasn't going to just be some generic land that hey we're going to have a topsy-turvy type of deal with it and that if you get up to a certain height within hollow earth you could be in an anti-gravity uh uh state for a short period of time and either get yourself back down to where you were or try to twist yourself to go to the opposite end of hollow earth that was something that i thought was magnificent and before that they entered hollow earth you know when they were in that void with all those colored streams and everything it sort of reminded me all those tokusatsu uh, intros mainly the Ultraman ones, where you kind of had all these colored streams or anything coming right at you. Well, and I just think too, even with the sets, like when you're on the heave or you're in Apex or whatever, the lighting too, with the different colored lighting, it reminded me of films like Tron and Tron Legacy. It reminded me of just other uh, science fiction. F- Type of films where you have uh, all these different uh, colored palettes and futuristic looking or, sets. Yeah, like uh, Blade Runner 2049 when it came to the Hong Kong uh, battle and stuff with all the vibrant neon lights on the buildings and everything. It sort of also gave me that uh, Blade Runner 2049 vibe to it. Yeah, and there's so much we could cover in this podcast. I don't think we're going to get to all, but there's so many like little Easter eggs and, and fan service moments. Uh, I don't think we're going to be able to cover it all. So now the one thing I want to dive into is Mechagodzilla himself. <laughs> Uh-oh. Sorry, people who are listening to the audio version, you can't see this. But this guy, I got the 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 action figure. Yeah, not the uh, not the eleven inch. I think it's the uh, the six no, inch. This is the six inch. By the way, I want to say to everybody who thought this was a dumb design, you were very premature in your statement because this dude is a motherfucking badass. Well, I know. From the beginning, when we saw some of those leaked images of Mechagodzilla there at like the toys and everything, I was sort of unsure of what to think of it. And I was sort of a bit skeptical. But then as time passed and finally get to see this movie and seeing the uh, MonsterVerse version of Mechagodzilla himself in action... I think this 
version of Mechagodzilla is really badass. And to me, I think out of all the Mechagodzillas that we've seen throughout the years, this has to be by far the strongest Mechagodzilla out there. No, I will correct you on that. I think well, the strongest one of the strongest ones. This, I think, Correct. this particular version, the 2021 version, I think is the second strongest behind Mechagodzilla City in that anime film. Well, for me, I would say, in my opinion, I would say Mechagodzilla from the 93 film. Well, yeah, strongest. that one Well, that one was strong. It killed Godzilla momentarily. This one, though, definitely would have, though, if Kong didn't interfere, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um I think the one here we go fanboying it up. Uh, I think the Mechagodzilla from Mechagodzilla City, it had Earth Godzilla, the biggest Godzilla so far, and uh, arguably the strongest Godzilla so far, dead until Haruo got involved, and that's something. And again, you're talking about a Mechagodzilla that is a literal city in that city on the edge of battle film. This one, in terms of your live-action ones, I will argue anyways, is the strongest and the most badass. And one of the reasons why I love this Mechagodzilla so much is not just because he's a badass and continues that legacy. Uh, The key I've always been a little iffy on, but by and large... What I love about this Mount Godzilla in terms of how it's executed in the film, it's like an actual robot. The The unfortunate thing about the man in suit deal that was done with the show on Heisei era and even the Millennium era ones, you couldn't do all the robotic stuff. This one had its hands rotating all the time and other parts of its body contorting in certain ways that a man in suit – uh, sadly could not do and with the CGI you're able to do all that and that's one of the things that I loved about this version of Mechagodzilla is that it definitely behaved more like the robot its hands twisting and turning all the time and shooting energy blasts from its feet and its hands as it was punching Godzilla mm-hmm. and doing all this weird contortion stuff so it could you know, get footing or grab Godzilla and Kong and like move certain things. Like there's a moment where uh, Godzilla and Kong had it by either arm and Kong's trying to like kick the head off and then the head like moves over. It looks at Godzilla and then it fires missiles over at Godzilla to try to get free. This, I talked about this when we did not only the commentary, but also the discussion for King of the Monsters in which I was like, finally, we got a King Ghidorah that is badass. The, mm. the things that the MonsterVerse has gotten right, I think, are the kaiju. We finally got a Ghidorah that actually was portrayed in a badass manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got a Mechagodzilla. Mechagodzilla, again, like I'm not too keen on the Kiyu stuff, but the Showa and the Heisei Kiyu and the City on the Edge of Battle Mechagodzilla. Godzilla, Mechagodzilla, by and large, has always been badass in the Japanese material as well. This one continues that but adds an extra element because it's CG. They're able to do more of that robotic stuff that the man in suit couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And I just – I love it. This thing – and I knew this thing was going to be badass because it's Mechagodzilla. But when we first get our glimpse of it in that uh, demo testing inside Apex, where it just – all it does, it picks up that skull crawler 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't fight it. It just picks it up, looks at it, and shoots its beam in its mouth, a la Godzilla via Mudo, and just splits the darn thing in half. That's and, it. That's all it had to do. Yeah, and that uh, red laser beam of his, it does quite a bit of damage, especially even with Godzilla. Even though, like, when he falls on the buildings and stuff, you see, like, all that red and everything, like, sort of, like, burns him up quite bad. And you can definitely see how powerful his uh, red beam re- weapon is. And I love the fact this Mechagodzilla doesn't have a ton of beams. It has the mouth beam, and the rest are uh, missiles, and it has like a power – yeah, it has like a power pulse when it makes contact, Mm -hmm. when it smacks someone. And as well as his tail as well. His tail, yeah, has a drill. Mm-hmm. It could, it just about drilled Kong's face in. Yeah. Um, it, it's very hand-to-hand combat oriented because so many fans complain that the Heisei era, they call it the Beam Wars. That final battle is very hand-to-hand combat. Uh, Godzilla tries to get his beam off. He can't. They do the the trademark beam lock. Mm-hmm. And then Mecha Godzilla overpowers Godzilla and I, with it. And I also liked how he just Mecha Godzilla just goes right at it. It's like, oh, this seems a bit easy, and just full, full blast that red beam like nothing on Godzilla there. Well, and that Mecha Godzilla is merciless. Mm-hmm. That it just grabs Godzilla in one segment. It throws Godzilla's face into one building, grabs his face back throws it into another building, pulls it back, and throws it at the camera into another building. I mean, this is a mech Godzilla that's just like, I will murder you. Like, I'm going to just kick the crap out of you before I finish you off. And and one thing was that when they got, uh, was it the ingredients or the uh, the equation to the elements that they found in the power, hollow, yep. yeah, in hollow earth... And then you have Sarazawa within that uh, Ghidorah skull there with all the... We need to talk about that. Yeah, so let's sort of get into this now and sort of the theory as far as Ghidorah's neurological, uh, maybe DNA DNA or whatever. You can sort of say that it is a hybrid of Mecha King Ghidorah, but with, but in a Mecha Godzilla form. This is another fan service moment because this goes back. Excuse me, to that 2002 Godzilla X Mecha Godzilla movie where Godzilla or Kiyu, whatever you want to call that, it, yeah. in that film, was powered by DNA computers because they threw a Godzilla skeleton as the as the the form, the general base form for that mech. And then of course it goes haywire. You kind of have that here, except this mech Godzilla is not built on a Godzilla skeleton. So my theory is that this Mecha Godzilla not only went rogue because it finally had that ultimate power source that was inherited from Hollow Earth, but because that ultimate power source was able to the King Ghidorah DNA to finally grasp hold and unleash itself. So my theory is that Mecha Godzilla is King Ghidorah, mm-hmm. just in the in the mechanical form. 
And I was so happy to see that element of the story pay off. That was one of the things I was concerned about going into this movie because if you watched the end credits of King of the Monsters, you saw that Alan Jones and his crew uh, – got that head that was severed in that ocean battle between Godzilla and Ghidorah. And um, myself and I know many other fans were so concerned that maybe that on some level was not going to pay off. And it did. And so, like I said, my theory is that Ghidorah is Mechagodzilla in the film. So you can sort of get the best of both worlds of not only Mechagodzilla, but as well as sort of Mecha King Ghidorah. Sort of, yeah. I love the fact, too, that – and I think I stated this, too, near the top of the podcast. There are very few moments in this movie in which – Godzilla and Kong are not on screen. Um, I, I do love the fact that it is about them and wholly them. Even though, yes, I, I complained a little while ago about certain types of, of, of storytelling and plot holes, and I would have liked expansions on other areas of the story. That is true. But I do like the fact that it is very central focused on these characters and that's one of the things that i think the monster verse has done well more so than most of the toho stuff is that more or less everything that happens on film and there are a few exceptions but more of what happens on film tends to involve the kaiju on some level and that's one of the things that i've always loved about this monster verse mhm and one of the other good things that I like is that it didn't quite pander too much. Although you get some of the Easter eggs in there, like you do with some of these other reboots or remakes of films, but at least unlike the 2019 film, which it did pander quite a bit, at least this one didn't pander too much or if, or just wasn't uh, really existent at all. It maybe pandered a little bit, but not to the extent of the 2019 film. Well, and I remember when we talked about the film, and we might as well get into it, is the score. The score itself in that that film very much pandered. Uh, I understand people love Ifukube, and I do too. Don't get me wrong. I do. But I'm sorry. Ifukube is gone. Like, let's leave the man and his music to those other films. I think it's fine like if maybe every once in a while you use some of that music. But when you have a film like King of the Monsters that really is Ifukube music centric, that to me doesn't help the film in some ways because again, I wanted something different. And I think it hurts the composer because the composer could have some really great ideas. I like the score an awful lot to the 2014 film. I don't think it's the greatest, but I really do like it. I think Alexander Desplat had a good score there. And I like what uh, Junkie XL did here. You could hear, yes, occasional riffs or motifs of Ifukube, but by and large, what you got was his own take. And I don't have the CD yet, so I'm not able to to really comment on the score as a whole, but listening to it within the film, 
to me, it does sound epic. It sounds appropriate. And I think there's some wonderful music pieces in here that capture action moments and somber moments very well. And I mm-hmm. like the fact that with the exception of those short motifs, composed a score that was his own by and large and very appropriate. And I think it's, in my opinion, it's the best in this entire monster verse. I love it an awful lot. I, I just think, I, I think it's so appropriate for what takes place in this film. I do like, it and I'm really looking forward to listening to that when I get the CD. Yeah. Thankfully enough, I was able to listen to the soundtrack via through Spotify with my subscription and just listening to it on its own. And of course, this is the same guy who also did uh, the scoring for uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League uh, just not, not long ago here. And just hearing the music outright, yes, it does have a lot of the, uh, it, it has uh, somber moments as well as some of those epic action moments. Um, I think that the action epic moments is sort of the main focus of the soundtrack, but of course you also get some of the sopper ones, mainly for those that were used on uh, the con scenes in that fact. But it's a really good score, and... um, Whenever you get your hands on it, definitely listen to it right away. Or if you have uh, Spotify like me and probably I've already listened to it already. And I know one of these times I I haven't done as much reviews on our website, so I should at least try to get around to you uh, doing uh, a review on that uh, sometime down the road. Yeah, and I and I just love this score. Like I said, I'm really looking forward to finally getting the CD and being able to sit down and listen to it uh, as it is. The funny thing is, though, is I do have the King of the Monsters score, but I have not sat down to listen to it. Be- and the reason why that is is because when you watch the movie, it like I just said a moment ago, it's very much Ifukube centric. So part of me has always been, why should I listen to it when I've heard this many times over in previous films? I will eventually sit down and listen to it, but it, like I haven't listened because I'm like Bear McCreary, what he did, he did a good job. Don't get me wrong. But this was, that wasn't his sound. He sort of updated it a tad, but it wasn't his own talent it wasn't his own vibe that came through junkie xl had the short motifs and riffs yeah paying homage to that 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 theme but by and large it was his own and i like what he did here i think it's great i think it's the best out of the entire monsterverse i think it's for me personally it goes this score followed by the 2014 then skull island and then king of the monsters uh, the, that kind of goes in that order in terms of my favorite scores out of this monsterverse um and it's absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. yeah for me i would say um this one then would be skull island 
and then 2014, and then 2019. Although I do at least enjoy listening to the 2019 uh, soundtrack, but yeah, like with the the Blue Oyster Cult version, and then the Godzilla theme uh, version. Yeah, and just adding on maybe a little bit of uh, depth to it as far as adding some vocals to it this time. It doesn't quite help out as much. And one of the things I want to touch upon that I think is a huge plus for this film, and I think Marvel slash Disney needs to pay attention to this film because this is how you do a wonderful action film with the right amount of comedy is this film. This film, really the whole MonsterVerse, is not jokey-jokey. It has jokes sprinkled out, yes. But Godzilla vs. Kong is the right amount. You have Bernie, who is this paranoid conspiracy theorist. Once in a while, he has some funny, goofy lines. Like One of my favorite lines of his uh, in this film is right at the end, right as they're getting ready to destroy the control panel that sort of disables Mechagodzilla, as he turns to Josh after he dumps his liquor in the vent there, and he goes, Are you kidding? Now I got to now I got to die sober and with kids. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty funny line. You get Kong at the start of the movie. He kind of scratches his butt shortly after he wakes up, but they don't, they don't focus on that long enough. It's kind of mm-hmm. funny. Uh, and you just get some other quick, funny lines. There's this, uh, they only do it twice in this film where the Ewe girl who does sign language with Kong, uh, when Alexander Skarsgård playing Nathan Lynn comes up after they start transporting Kong, uh, they start uh, – he says, boy, I can smell Kong all the way up here. And then Dr. Uh, – was it Andrews or Anderson, his former colleague, uh, says, well, he can smell you too. And then the Ewe girl does this, which means coward, and he goes over. He kind of looks over. What she say? And she goes – she says you're brave, and then – Right as they're getting ready to uh, shock Kong's heart with the heave to resuscitate him, he goes over to the little Ewe girl because he sees her crying, and he goes, hey, you are brave. <laughs> <laughs> and so she, the little Ewe girl kind of smiles a little bit, and she points at him, and he goes, no, I, you and me both, I think. Like, <laughs> that to me – that to me is good comedy. It's yeah. not like Marvel where they hit you over the head throughout the entire movie, not just with comedy in general, but a lot of times with the same one or two jokes. This movie is perfect. They give you just enough to sort of release a tad bit of attention in a given moment. And that's one of the things that I love too about this movie. It's not making fun of itself it it keeps things just light enough but it still keeps a situation serious when Godzilla gets loose onto Hong Kong starts kicking the crap out of Godzilla and Kong is lying there dying mm-hmm. people are starting to realize crap this thing's about to kill Godzilla Kong is dying we're screwed and that just quick moment sort of just momentarily relieves the tension, but it doesn't keep hitting you over the head mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. And um, and then the other thing too, when they shot Khan 
alive and stuff and then having that uh, Ewe girl come up and telling him it's like Godzilla is not the real enemy but this robotic version is and you can kind of see him sort of squinting and it's like uh, you know it's, it's like even though he you know beat the living crap out of me or anything it's like he then starts to realize like what could happen if Godzilla loses and then he and then having this robotic version of Godzilla wreaking havoc all over the place well, and I thought, too, what was a nice touch, and I don't know, maybe you could m- sort of consider it funny, I guess. I don't know if it was designed to be that way, but after Kong gets resuscitated and the Iwi girl signs to Kong saying Godzilla's not the enemy, and Kong just kind of goes, yeah. you know, because of the ancient rivalry they have. I, again, I don't know if that was supposed to be played for comedy or not, but you kind of see this expression. Kind of Kong's kind of like, are you kind of like, are you kidding me? Like we battled it out. He just about killed me here. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she tells him that thing, you know, pointing to Mecha Godzilla, that thing is the enemy. And you kind of just see him just like, you know, and kind mm-hmm. of. And then, and then the other thing too is that when he awakes, and Antarctica, you kind of hear this little moan of his, it's like, <laughs> I do like a lot of the different groans and stuff they give Kong uh, throughout the course of the film. It's, it, it just kind of adds to the character uh, mm-hmm. a, a little bit. I do like that an awful lot. Um, yeah. One thing I, I want to backtrack on two negative points because I wanted to dive on them a bit more because in my opinion, they're sort of important and we just kind of forgot to talk about them. Uh, What do you uh, make of us as the audience not seeing more of the other Titans? I thought it was weird first and foremost that those other Titans are dead because I thought according to the last film – all the Titans had a specific role to play in the ecology of the Earth. Why is it then that all but Godzilla and Kong are dead? And then on top of that, do you also feel cheated that we didn't get more of those Titans within this film? Yes, yeah, it's, it's sort of feel you sort of feel cheated, but also. Like when you see the very end of King of the Monsters where you see all of them bow before Godzilla, you would think, oh, they're going to, you know, follow along with Godzilla, not, you know, try, you know, try to defeat him in order to be the apex of all the other Titans and stuff. But when it came to that uh, beginning credit, I was like, when it showed that whole uh, March Madness bracket, as you call it, that showing all these monsters, I would like majority of them probably showing their bowing to Godzilla, even Rodan, which you saw said defeated on his thing. It's like, it just sort of doesn't quite make sense for them to bow in front of Godzilla, but then he sort of turns on them and destroying them for, I don't 
know for whatever reason that they could have done. Right. And it just does just doesn't quite make sense at all. And it's like should have at least had some sort of backstory or it just feels like you're going to need to make tons of more movies just to see the reasons behind all of their defeats leading up to this movie. I do feel cheated that we didn't get to see more of them. You, one of the things you and I had theorized after that first trailer came out was that maybe we were going to see Godzilla because we knew he was going haywire, start going after these other Titans and killing them. We kind of thought maybe we were going to see that. That doesn't happen. And again, like I said, I think a lot of it is budget reasons. And so the best thing that they could do was to do it in some sort of quick way. And they thought the whole bracket deal at the credit scene was the best way to go. I'm glad we at least got that. But like you were saying, it makes no sense because Godzilla always seemed he was set up this way in the 2014 film. And this has continued even up into this film that Godzilla doesn't attack unless he's provoked. He has to have a reason to go after you. And and they and it's one of the things that they kept, you know, they brought up at least a couple times during the movie with Millie uh, Bobby Brown's character saying that uh, he, he doesn't really attack unless provoked. Yeah, and to me, it didn't sound like Godzilla had been going berserk up until that Pensacola attack that we saw at the beginning of the film. That that was the very first time he went berserk. And they were saying he had left us alone for like three years. So, and again, like I said, and the way it was set up in the previous film, all these other titans served a purpose in the world. You know, it's like bees and butterflies pollinate and other insects do other things to kind of help things grow and survive. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense because there, there would be no reason for Godzilla to go after these titans. That's not in his character. That's not this Godzilla's character. And, you know, and like you said, the other titans bowed to him. Why would they even want to go after him in the first place? You know, because they were under the control of King Ghidorah, who at that time was considered the apex mm -hmm. until Godzilla defeated him. It makes no sense whatsoever, regardless of how you look at it. They would not attack him, and Godzilla would not attack him because they all serve a purpose. It doesn't make sense. And again, too, I feel cheated that we didn't even get to see more of them. Or well, 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 really, we didn't get to see any of them, other than this one skull crawler and the and the war bats. I don't know if you want to call those titans because they live in Hollow Earth, but um, you know, we we never got to see any of that pan out. And again, like I said, I'm sure it's budget reasons. But man, like. <laughs> I, I do feel cheated, and I and to me, even the explanation how we just discussed, nothing seems to make sense, mm -hmm. no matter how you look at it. And the other thing too is that about this film, that even though it was mainly focused around um, Apex Cybernetics, which we didn't even hear about up until this movie, and then it's also a movie where that we never really heard about Monarch anymore. Maybe just in a couple blurbs, that's about it. 
he just Monarch really was mentioned a few times and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that was one thing I noticed too. Monarch's role is very pedestrian in this film. Very like basically, it was almost non-existent. It was like it was like a shell of its former self. It's almost as if like the funding was gone, but you had enough people who still wanted to keep the idea going and just use whatever they had to mm. keep Monarch alive. And it would have been nice if they've also established uh, Apex cybernetics within this whole monster verse. So you can kind of sort of get this rivalry between both Monarch and Apex uh, cybernetics right up, leading right up to uh, Godzilla versus Khan and that's sort of that can also have been another human element is having both Monarch and Apex uh, cybernetics sort of going against each other and I think too you could have introduced Apex in this movie and fleshed it out more again it's just a question of are you willing to do that? And again, I almost wonder with some of this extra footage that Wingard has talked about, I'm hoping some of that is also Apex involved because I think, sure, I think it would have made more sense if this thing was introduced at least in the last film because then you could not only expand and introduce it there, but even expand it even more with this entry. Um, but you could have done it even in this film had you decided to do that you know it just is a matter of is this something you want on film and and all that so it's not like they still couldn't have made it work it's just that they chose not to <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah and then also and i know that you were wanting to bring this up but i think we sort of forgotten about it is like they never fully explained well, they sort of explain, but it would have been nice to at least have some sort of flashback as far as what happened to Skull Island. Yeah, I mean, it's paid lip service. They are, you sort of see it in the beginning credits, this big hurricane type of storm that's growing over Skull Island. And um, the one gal also pays lip service to it, saying that when the storm took over, it killed uh, all the Iwi people outside of this girl. Yeah, like, okay, a storm came and it engulfed the island. But why? Like... Is it due to climate change? Is it due maybe to the fact that because one of the Titans was killed, that that Titan had something to do with the weather or something near Skull Island? Like, what, why? And it's, uh, again, just a, a quick throwaway line that you just kind of have to sit there and take it. It's just like, okay. And I'm willing to do that because I'm a fan of these films and I enjoy – almost all these films not just in the monsterverse but you know the toho stuff um as well that i'm like okay this is very similar to what i've seen before in previous films i'm willing to go with it but what again what makes it disappointing is that some of this stuff was set up and discussed in previous films and to just kind of have it tossed by the wayside in one or two lines uh, to me is disrespectful and it just it shows a complete lack of disregard for all the all the story and mythology that was built up beforehand. It's it's disappointing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So. The other quick disappointing thing I wanted us to discuss, how do you feel about the fact that other than powering Kong's axe, the fact that by and large Godzilla wasn't able to even get a couple of hits on Mechagodzilla in that final confrontation? Mm. Yeah, I know he at least did sort of at the beginning but then that was when it was a uh, shove off yeah but then after Mechagodzilla used his uh, was a jet propulsion and then sort of elbowing Godzilla there that was it was basically all downhill from there for Godzilla even though we liked how Mechagodzilla executed I would say at the same time he was a little bit too OP'd in this uh, movie. It would have been nice to have some kind of balance uh, between Godzilla and Mechagodzilla. Even though that uh, sort of towards the end or kind of when Khan was helping out that they grabbed him by both of his arms and then shove him into that one building there. But then towards the end, Khan just had the upper hand just mainly with the axe but with Godzilla's help to power up uh, the axe and then basically slicing through it. I mean, it probably would have oh, been... those kids disabling the computer too. Well, yeah, and that too. But, um, yeah, as far as having the axe to be powered up to go through Mechagodzilla like nothing, I mean, it could have been done just with it not powered up in that regard. But, yeah, yeah, there's just some things within that uh, final battle that it could have at least have been balanced between uh, the Godzilla Mecha Godzilla battle, and then you don't really necessarily have to have the axe powered up just to slice through Mecha Godzilla and defeat it from there. Yeah, I I see where you're coming. I disagree with you though on Mecha Godzilla being overpowered because this is a machine. It's not like a living organism where it gets the wind knocked out of it. It's going to keep going. It's like the Terminator thing it's gonna keep going until it gets you or until it's destroyed and that's what i love about this mech godzilla is that it is overpowered um i i sort of and again i know kong because of the whole connection with people uh it's gonna be he's gonna be more the focal point and kind of the the ultimate hero in, in a sense in this film um i I really thought, though, they still should have had Godzilla come in. Like, I wasn't – to me, it didn't bother me that Mega Godzilla did take over Godzilla throughout that entire battle. But I thought there was a perfect moment there. Uh, and this is where I would have the humans not be involved in the ultimate victory over Mega Godzilla. And again, I know there's this whole idea where, again – the people are our eyes and ears into the events of what's going on in the film. We got to have the people be involved, and I'm all for that. But what I would have, this is how I would have done it. Well, how I would have done it is they would have tried to, 
lock in that computer and then nothing worked. Like I wouldn't have even had that drink part involved. They, like that, that's it. They're locked out of the computer. That's it. They tried, but they failed. And then that moment where Mechagodzilla is ready to like drill in Kong's face, you know, Godzilla's on the ground. Yes, he's hurt. But I thought that would have been a perfect moment for Godzilla to just then come up and get his like little moment in against Mechagodzilla. And then they both, you know, then Mechagodzilla like kicks him off or whatever. And then both Kong and Godzilla like at the same time just deliver some sort of fatal two for one shot at Mechagodzilla and defeat it that way. Or it would have also been ironic and sort of uh circle back around where Godzilla sort of you know unhinges the jaw and then uses his atomic ray <laughs> through the mouth like Mecha Godzilla in this movie sort of done mainly sort of turn it back on him doing that <laughs> against Mecha Godzilla yeah. However, and one of the things that warms my heart an awful lot with this film was that moment seeing Godzilla and King Kong team up where they grabbed either arm and smashed it. Like, I was like, yeah, fry that monkey throughout most of the entire film. But then, you know, and then kind of knowing what was coming next, mm. uh, it did warm my heart to see like for the first time ever, you know, in, in this whole franchise, Godzilla and Kong teaming up against a bigger baddie and uh and all that like it just to me it, uh, again it was magnificent to see that you know these two characters that i loved so much that they finally like quit fighting each other and they came together uh to defeat a bigger baddie and i love the fact that mega godzilla was so overpowered because this mega godzilla was a villain like this guy or this thing like I could feel the tension in me where I'm like crap yeah and I knew it wasn't going to happen but I'm like if this thing were to kill Godzilla and Kong were to end up dead the world is screwed like Mega Godzilla is going to keep going and not going to stop because it was frying people initially when it first got out on the streets and all that this thing kept going and going and I was just like holy shit this thing is a menace and Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I love about this portrayal of Mega Godzilla. And then also, I really liked at the end where Khan, you know, he was laying or sitting down, but then sees Godzilla and sort of gets agitated and then had the axe, but then sort of just thought over it for maybe about a few seconds and then just drops the axe down. And then you see Godzilla war and then just basically heading out to sea you know sayings like you know I think there could at least be you know two apex like if one of us gets overpowered then one of us can help out I don't know (laughs) the sort of thinking but at least they sort of looked at each other and then just sort of went their own separate ways after that yeah, and I like the fact, too, that they're technically both kings. Godzilla's on the surface, Kong's in hollow earth. So, you know, mm-hmm. you got that you got that going. So we don't hear it, but it's King Kong <laughs> yep. now, finally. But I think, are we ready to go into final thoughts and a rating? Yeah, I think, I think we've 
essentially discuss everything. There's that we still could a think lot of. we could do, but we could go on and on. <laughs> that and then plus the next episode after this, we're going to be doing the commentary. So that's right, we are going to be doing the commentary. I knew about that. Yeah, and that'll be our final one until we uh, do uh, Daikaiju Fest 2 in July. No, we're doing an interview April 24th. Oh, yeah. We're going to be doing we're going to be posting more about that in the next uh, week or two. Um, let me go first on final thoughts. What I'm going to do actually is instead of the the buy rent or pass, I'm going to do it out of 10 stars uh, for this film. So, uh Again, here's the thing about this movie. Um, if I was a casual movie watcher and I sort of knew a little bit about this film, I would give it five out of ten. Uh, it's very entertaining, but it's flawed enough to where it you you're kind of like, huh, you know. But now speaking as myself, the fan who has been a fan of this stuff for like twenty and a half years now. <laughs> Uh, while I do have some issues with this film, and some of which we've um, you know, mentioned and discussed in this podcast, I have a blast with this film. Uh, like I said, uh, I, I've seen the thing three times. Today I think is going to be the first day since this thing has been out on HBO Max that I'm not going to be able to see it. So my streak has ended. Um <laughs> I do love watching this film, and I do find it amazing that with it being a Godzilla vs. Kong movie, and this is supposed to be more or less the climax of the MonsterVerse, that it's the shortest out of all the MonsterVerse films, like clocking in at an hour 53 minutes, and that's with credits included. So the actual film is like maybe an hour 45 or whatever it is. Um, I do love this film. You know, forget the issues. Some of them bug me and kind of bother me, but it doesn't um, bother my enjoyment of the film much, if at all. I love the visuals. The representations of Kong and Godzilla are wonderful. Seeing these two titans uh, come together and duke it out again for the first time in X amount of years has been wonderful. It corrects uh, quite a few wrongs uh, of that 62 film. And the fact that um, it's not a comedy like that film and that this was a film that knew what fans were wanting out of it. I still would have liked to have had a little bit more between those two. Um, but by and large, what I did get was very enjoyable. Um, Mecha Godzilla was a nice surprise, even though I more or less have known about this for roughly a year now. When it was confirmed and then seen it executed in this film, this is my favorite Mecha Godzilla of all time. Just like King Ghidorah, that version of King Ghidorah in the 2019 film is my favorite King Ghidorah of all time because finally you had a badass King Ghidorah in this one. This one continues a legacy of badassery, but it does it in a way that sadly the man in suit versions just could not 100% pull off on this dude is just an mfer and i love it uh, this thing takes no prisoners uh i do i'm slightly disappointed godzilla really didn't get to shine for even a moment against this thing but i knew why they decided to not have that 
uh, the character work, very one-dimensional, but you get just enough to just sort of go along with it. Um, it's a fun film. Very few frames of this movie do not have Godzilla or Kong in it. It's by and large wall-to-wall action from beginning to end. The score is incredible. Uh, the effects work is incredible. Hollow Earth is beautiful to look at. Kong's very brief battle with the war bats is fun and gross. Um, it's it's fun and the fact that we finally get an urban battle between Godzilla and Kong and then you get this epic team up with those two against this all-powerful Mechagodzilla is a treat um for longtime fans this is going to really warm your hearts and it certainly has warmed mine um Despite the issues with the film, I have a blast. I love it an awful lot. I guarantee you I will be watching this movie many times over throughout the remainder of this month before it leaves HBO Max. Uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It is probably, entertainment-wise, the most entertaining of the MonsterVerse films. Uh for me it's a 10 out of 10 um entertaining it is very flawed but what's most important to me when it comes to movies is am i being entertained i can sit through a bad film if i'm entertained i've got a collection of tons of classic b monster movies and a lot of them i am entertained by despite the fact they tell awful stories and so as long as i'm entertained i am right there with you this is a movie that i think is a must see for any kaiju fan whether you're a a longtime fan or a newbie the fact too that we've gone through such a shit year with this pandemic and all that this is perfect escapist entertainment this is something that we so badly need at this point in our in our lives and i can't thank warner brothers and hbo max enough for deciding like you know what not only are we going to put these in theaters we're going to put it on our streaming service and you guys get 31 days to watch this being able to watch it from the safety of my home and to watch it as many times as i want during during that 30 one day period is a real treat and I can't compliment Warner Brothers and HBO Max enough for doing that and it didn't cost us any extra because it was part of our cable package um this is a 10 out of 10 easily I highly recommend it it's flawed but it's so damn fun I I love it it's a film that goes by in a breeze it doesn't feel like an hour 53 or hour 45 minute movie it is entertaining as hell i loved it i loved it i love it high recommend yeah and as far as the experience for me when viewing this film on the on the day when it opened i went to see this in theaters and then just last night saw it on hbo max and just by comparing the two experience wise i still would recommend men's scene in theaters but obviously with the whole uh pandemic thing going on if if you really don't want to venture out just yet yeah i can definitely would at least recommend 
the HBO Max one, but to me, just seeing it, even on my 4K TV that I have here, it just doesn't do the whole entertainment and the action scenes of this movie enough justice. And seeing it, even just like, and I saw it in IMAX theaters here over at AMC, and it's just phenomenal. It's very colorful, very action-packed. You get a lot of the surround sound to it. It's just fantastic just seeing it in the theater. Even again, not, and just seeing it this past Wednesday was the first time I've been to a theater since December of 2019 when I the The last movie I saw then was uh, Rise of Skywalker. But, um, yeah, I'm I sorry. think... <laughs> But I think this was a very good treat uh, for the first time being back in the theaters is seeing Godzilla vs. Khan. And like with Kent, the visual effects, even the ex- the design, the execution of Mechagodzilla, as well as some of the, the updates to Khan for this movie, um, the battle scenes... It's just phenomenal. The and the only downside that I have, and we d- discussed this earlier, is that it would have been great to have more time to flesh out some of the human characters in this movie. I think it would have been great because then you still get some of that balance back. Whereas this movie was more heavily focused on both Godzilla and Khan and less so on the human aspects. It's I think overall it's still a very entertaining movie in its own right. I really enjoyed it from what I've seen and like with Kent, it didn't really feel like you know, the hour and 53 minutes just watching this. And it's also like from beginning to end, there's a lot of action going on. It feels like it never really had any breaking points in between. It just kept on going. And that's sort of what I really liked. And just kept you in that seat and made you really entertained throughout the entire movie. And as far as, our original rating, I would definitely recommend buying this movie. And as far as the 10 stars on this one, I would at least give it a 9 out of 10 just because of the human aspects where I think that they should have improved that more and fleshed out some of the characters that they had. Mm-hmm. But other than that, very entertaining. Mm-hmm. And with that, join us here in a couple of weeks when we actually do a live commentary of Godzilla versus Kong. So all of you who have HBO Max, you can definitely join us. Mm-hmm. Please do that. Uh, we're going to just go ahead and do the commentary because we have the ability to do so. We don't have mm-hmm. to wait three, four months for the home video to do it. So why not just go ahead and do it? And then also we had uh, briefly mentioned during this podcast, we will be doing an interview uh, here in a few weeks. Initially, our final podcast was going to be April 17th. And then the rest of the time we we're going to be working on Daikaiju Fest leading into July. But um, 
we are going to be doing an interview with Frankie B. Washington on their upcoming Kickstarter project, Kaiju and Cowboys. So uh, we will be interviewing them about that, trying to build support, and hopefully all of you can support their um can support their project as well. So join us uh, in what, three weeks uh, for that interview as well. So that was just something that came up just this week. And so we will be podcasting again uh, before this month is out. So join us April 17th, same Godzilla time, same Godzilla channel for our live commentary on Godzilla versus Kong. And then t- uh, a week after that, it's our interview with Frankie B. Washington on their upcoming Kaiju and Cowboy Kickstarter project. All right. Um, other than that, can't think of anything else. Well, besides, if you like what we're doing, like and subscribe to all of our social media networks, even here. If you're watching us on YouTube, Twitch, um, DLive, Facebook, and Periscope, make sure to like and subscribe to us. And as well as you can find our audio versions of our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, as well as TuneIn. So if you don't have anything else, we will see you guys. Take care, guys. Thank you so much for listening or watching. All right. We'll see Catch you guys. Couple weeks. Yep. In a couple weeks for Godzilla vs. Kong commentary. Take care, everyone.